Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. We are actually in the last installment of our series called Builders. And yes, we've been talking about building for a long time um, in, in terms of the last couple of months. I mean, I think this is seven or eight in the series, probably eight in the series, which is a very long series for most, uh, most series that we would do. But it's important because we are on the precipice of jumping off to build a church building to call home. Uh, we have a 14-acre property. We do talk to you about it time to time. I think you received a newsletter recently to update you on what's going on. And today is, uh, today's last message is the one I really feel led by God to make sure we end on. And we will come back to this countless times in the future. The title of the message today is Rest. And it's not something we think of when we talk about building anything. And, you know, when you're building a home, the last thing you're thinking about doing is resting, even though that's the entire purpose you're building the home. Right? right? Now, don't tell my wife that because we've been renovating a house for five years now and she's really sick of it. And we are slowly renovating and trying to rest in a renovation. Some of you know what that's like. It's impossible. You can't actually do it. Um, but we do this, we build with the end in mind. And we build to one day have this place of provision and rest. And it's no different for us as a church family. You know, um, it's a lot of work coming to set up and tear down. It's a lot of work. And it's, it's a lot of time. And it's a lot of fellowship and a lot of grit that gets built into people. There's a lot of really wonderful, great, and good things that happen because of that. But hey, let's, let's be honest, man. We're looking for a place where we can come and our sound guys don't have to worry about what gets broken week to week. And, and so we are, we are getting there. We are moving towards it. Every single day that passes is a day we are closer to one day breaking ground. Um, there's a few million dollars separating, between, separating us from that goal at the moment. That's okay. That's okay. We're not worried about it. It's going to come. And so I want to talk to you today about rest specifically excuse me because this topic is something that gets us in a lot of trouble and it doesn't matter who you are today I know that this message can slap you in your face and so please if it helps you hear these words I love you and now I'm going to slap you in the face in love with love and kindness hopefully hopefully there's kindness ignore the, the, the crease in my forehead doesn't mean I'm angry. It just means I have a crease in my forehead. I have to say these things for real. Um, all right. Here, here's the deal. When we fail to honor the command of God in principle or in reality, we will always be opening ourselves up to the penalty. Okay? That, that's it. The principle and the reality. If we don't follow what God says, we open ourselves up to the train wreck that is the penalty every single time. And we often think that... Um, I, I think that many people, I've observed that many people are raised with this awareness of the vengeance of God, that God is waiting to crush you, that God is waiting to hit you with a cosmic baseball bat or gigantic stellar, interstellar fly swatter um, every time you step out of line. But that's actually not what we see in Scripture. That's not been my experience at all. Um, more often than not, what we see is that God simply, rather than in his anger hitting us with something, what we actually see is God simply just, just moving his hand out of the way. And, and allow, allow us to do what, the, what it is that we're doing outside of the blessing of his promise, his covenant, his instruction. And, and that's, that's really what God does. Mostly he just allows the reality of our situation to become the reality of our situation. And the result is pain, frustration, and sometimes things far worse than that, including Death, it's kind of like this for me. It's like driving on the wrong side of the highway with your eyes closed. 
You'll be okay for an indeterminate amount of time. But, it, but it's a reality that eventually you're going to drive off the road or you're going to hit oncoming traffic. It's a bad scenario, and no matter how you logically try to work that out, driving on the wrong side of the road with your eyes closed or open really doesn't change the fact that you are opening yourself to being wiped out. And so this is to say that God doesn't sit on his throne, again, waiting with, this, with the supernatural baseball bat of his judgment. Okay, God just really has to just kind of step out of the way and let nature, as it were, take its course with us. And, and God, God is not, uh, well, here's the verse I grew up with that really, that really uh, framed this doctrine in my life. And I, I think I remember it mostly in King James because that's what my mom was into back in those days. So were all the people in her generation. King, New King James, if they were really hip and cool. But, but this is the memory verse, and it was Numbers 3223. It says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And now this is the part that's burned into my memory forever. In, in the core structures of my DNA, these words are burned. Be sure your sins will find you out. That's what I grew up with. I went to bed at night thinking about that verse. This produced in me a deep and suspicious fear of when precisely sin could or would catch up to me. Not only was it taught to me at home and church, but back then even the Mormons were running a television ad, a commercial, that was actually fairly well produced for its time. Uh, and in particular, that one that I remember was about uh, lying. And I don't know, some of you would have seen this, um, maybe if you had Hick Vision like we did. So we had two channels, CBC, CTV. If the clouds were just right and the moon was aligned with the North Star in a specific way, sometimes you could get French, the French channel. Just sometimes. It was never a guarantee. But, but I remember watching this commercial many times, and it was a bunch of dudes all wearing, like, black cat burglar outfits, running around with flashlights, singing a song about telling a lie, and when you told a lie, you would have to tell another lie to cover up the lie, and you would never get to the end of it. And I mean, it's sadly, I even remember the tune, and this still haunts me today. Lies. Oh, you got to tell another lie and be sure your sins will find you out. And there is no rest for this. I, I would lay awake at night hearing that song play in my head, especially in the times where I had told a lie and was having to work that out for, for however long in my life, right? And some of you have been here even though you wouldn't want to admit it, and that's fine. But most of you, if not all of you, have been here. Um, I would lie awake at night hearing that song and then hearing my parents' voice, hearing my Sunday school teacher say it to me, and even the little paper Jesus cut out on the flannel graph board would say, be sure your sins will find you out. And you might think that this is why the way I am. This is why I am the way I am. No wonder you're saying to yourself, Pastor Trav is so messed up. He was living in this psychological torment his entire life. Well, what I actually was living in was revealed truth. Because it's very, very true that your sins are going to find you out. What that is to say is that sin has a way of catching up to us, that there is no escaping the penalty of sin. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. The penalty of missing God's mark is death every single time. And I want you to understand this morning, so many times we have to talk in principle because God is kind and just and he's patient. And so he's not sitting there waiting to smite us or smote us or smitten us the very first time we step out of line because no one would ever learn anything if that was the case, right? Like if stupidity is rewarded, is rewarded with death in the moment it happens, none of us would be here. Somebody say amen. 
Right? It's true. It, I mean, if, if my stupidity was rewarded with instantaneous death, how long would I have been on this earth for? Not very long. Some of you even less than me. Some of you more, in fairness. But you know, what, what I know is that this is something that's very profoundly true, and I actually see it in the lives of everybody I pastor. I see it in the lives of the people I parent. I see it in, in my marriage, and I see it in other people's marriages. I see it in people's businesses. I see it everywhere I look. I know this to be true. When we fail to do the thing God tells us to do, it will find us down the road. It will catch up to us, and the penalties will be paid. Now, whether they're paid by the blood of Jesus at the cross or they're paid by you, now that's a conversation we could have, I suppose, another day. But it will find us down the road. And some of you grew up with that belief in the cosmic baseball bat theory. That's the one where God is waiting to smash you like an ant because you stepped out of line. And I need you to, under, I need you to understand, please understand this morning, God is far too patient for that. Now, there is, there is a limit in God's love to how long he will let us screw up the next generation. There's a limit to this. But that limit is very, very, actually, it's very, very hard to find. It takes hundreds of years, biblically speaking. Hundreds of years. From the time God booted Adam and Eve out of the garden, which was a relatively instantaneous reaction. From that time on, God waits generations, and he gives, he gives opportunity for repentance and turning from sin for many generations before he comes in and, and, and reacts to what people are doing. And even then when he does, there's something so redemptive about it that points to Jesus. Um, so I grew up a little better than maybe some of you got to grow up. And I just want you to be set free from that today. God is not waiting to smash anybody with a bat. Um, but I think we need to realize that God also doesn't change. And the reality of our situation doesn't change. We only have one way out of that. I'm grateful that we serve a God who isn't given to brash mood swings. Um, I, I, I love the fact that God does not yell louder to get our attention. Like, like some of the teachers I had growing up. Right? Class is noisy and then you always have that screamer teacher. Sorry if you're a teacher here who's a screamer. I don't mean to offend you. Maybe there's a better way. I admire the teachers who have learned the art of silence. Kids are loud. Kids are rowdy. Have you ever noticed this? This actually does work. Um, it, it's a culture thing and it's a trained thing. But as you stop talking and just let silence, if you give it time, people will realize, wait a second, something else is supposed to be going on here. And slowly the room dulls to a dim roar. And if you just sit there looking at people, eventually they, oh, I'm, I'm in the wrong. And I think that this is something similar to what God actually does for us. And we see it throughout Scripture where God, God says, hey, here's my statute. Here's the limitations of the statutes that I'm placing on you. You need to do the things I said. Otherwise, you're going to have problems. And then God steps back and says, okay, kids, I love you. Now let's see how you play together. I love that God's not a screamer. All he does is step aside. All he has to do is remove his hand. And all he has to do really is let us see what happens in his absence. And it's that absence that I want us to realize something about today. Because I think there's a lot of people in our world, a lot of people in our churches right now who are experiencing an absence in their heart, the absence of God's presence. And I'm just going to help you jump to the conclusion of what we're talking about today, and that's because you don't know how to be still. You actually don't know what it is to rest. You're living under deception. You're living under a curse, therefore, because of that, that is preventing you from the better things that God has for you. 
Sin finds us. It catches up to us. It's really just the natural order of our fallen world. And it should be no surprise to any of us that, that people fall in a fallen world. It should not be a surprise to us that we struggle or that we are imperfect, even though somehow it feels like we are surprised by those things. Where this gets particular pain, particularly painful is when a person is rescued and immediately falls back into the same thing. Now, I want to share a quick video with you today to illustrate my point. So if we can play the first video, please. This is titled, Sheep Get Stuck in a Ditch with Music. You'll notice the sheep is stuck in a ditch, rescued by the shepherd, and... Dear God, help us. So let's all have a good laugh at the sheep. Slow motion. Swish. Oh, thank you, sheep, for that illustration. But you know, it's just a lamb. Let's have a laugh at that poor little lamb. <laughs> that lamb is you. There's the slap in the face. That lamb is you. So let's have a good laugh at ourselves this morning. <laughs> Come on, do it. Let's, Nate, let's hear your laugh. Come on. <laughs> Get the awkward out, people. Come on, let's hear it. <laughs> That's us. We're the sheep. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, it's not really that funny, is it? Uh, this sucks. This is the reality of our life, though, that we are like sheep. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turning to his own way. We want to do it my way. We don't want to do it God's way. We don't want to do it according to his precepts or his plans. We are perfectly capable of jumping right back into a ditch. And so you might say to yourself, well, Pastor Trav, that's fine. We're all sheep. We're laughing. Uh -huh. Lambs make mistakes. I just want to show you one more video to reinstate my point. Let's play that second video now. You'll notice that this is a sheep, not a lamb. A little bigger. Good job, shepherd. Notice there's a fence there. Didn't matter. See how he's walking away? That's what I do. Now, if you've never owned sheep, that's just funny to you. If you've owned sheep, you know how flippin' serious this is. How infuriatingly frustrating it is. Now, let the reality sink in for us this morning, church. Jesus says we are sheep. And that is why. Because Jesus saves us, and we immediately turn around and run back the things that would hold us in captivity. Like a ditch or a... Or, or water, or uh, the irony of that last video is the poor farmer, he's got two strands of hot electric wire there. Like, I don't know if you've ever grabbed an electric fence, but it's a grounding experience. Come on! Yeah, you were expecting shocking to be funny. You don't understand how it works. You only get shocked because you're grounded, silly. I thought my electrician, electrician apprentice son would catch on to this right away. Listen, sin finds you, 
The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life. Now, everybody say this word with me because this is the topic today. Rest. We're going to say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Rest. Rest. I can tell by the way you just said that with me that you don't particularly love this word. And I decided today we would do a deep dive psychologically into the reason why we don't like this word. So everyone, come down and sit on the couch and tell me about your mother. <laughs> Just lay here on the couch. Tell Dr. Freud everything you want to. I think it's okay for a white guy to do a German accent, right? Just making sure. Just if I get canceled for that, I get canceled for that. All right, deep psychological reason number one that we have a hard time with the word rest. Here it is, I'm gonna put it up on the screen for you, the word restroom. Restroom is defined as a toilet in a public building. Nobody likes public bathrooms. Okay, put your hand up if you like. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> Just kidding. But who, who likes public bathrooms? Nobody. I know that 90% of teenage girls absolutely wait to go poop at home, not at school, because they hate public bathrooms that much. I, I know that. I actually know a huge percentage of high school guys actually do the same thing. Nobody likes public bathrooms, right? Nobody likes public bathrooms. Nobody likes even shared bathrooms. And if you can say that if you've ever been blessed with a house that has like an ensuite and you have your own bathroom where your children can't come in there, what a glorious space that is. Nobody likes sharing bathrooms. Even when we desperately need them and they literally could save our lives from the embarrassment of pooping in open air. If you've never had to go to the bathroom in the open air, you have obviously not gone on a mission trip to Africa. Or you've obviously not spent much time out in the woods. Um, restrooms have saved some of us from unspeakable horrors. And for that reason, they should be celebrated maybe, but they're not. We just don't like them. Uh, for others, I suppose they are the starting point of many nightmares for years to come. Every child in every home dreads using the bathroom after their dad has been in there. <laughs> right? True story. True story. All the little people said, yep. And, uh, or that one brother. <laughs> That one brother that takes a long time in there. There's only two people I love. Who, there's only two people that I know in this whole wide world that actually love the toilet room, love the restroom. Uh, one is Tyson Hickson. The other is my second son, Logan Hansen. <laughs> These two men are willing to sit in there, read books, read comic strips, build models, solve world issues, bring peace to entire generations of people in war-torn countries. I don't know what they are doing in there, but they can sit there till their legs are numb and finish a good book. I don't get it. I just don't get it. They spend a lot of free time there. Um, recreational reading, maybe a short nap. Pace, is that what you do? Short nap in there? A long nap? I don't know. I don't know why you do it. I don't know why you take so long. But Tyson and Logan, two of the people I love the most in this whole world, they love the restroom, but they're the only ones. So that's maybe why we have an aversion to the word rest is because of the word restroom. But then I got to thinking there's one even worse, and that would be the combination uh, words of rest stop. And a rest stop is a public toilet house on the side of a road. And I think, that, I think that maybe this is part of the reason why we have such a horrible word association with the word rest because this is exponentially worse than a restroom. A rest stop is, I mean, I would almost let my kids pee their pants rather than pull over at a rest stop when I had younger children. Amy would get furious with me. <laughs> we need a bathroom. I'm like, they're going to hold it. They will make it to Valley View. 
Annika, you will make it to Valview. She did, I think. No, she didn't. I didn't want to say that, sweetie. I didn't want to. I didn't want to say that. Uh, I don't know why it's so hard for us to deal with this word rest. And I want you to laugh about it, but I also want you to become deadly serious about it. Because the lack of rest and our misunderstanding of what rest is and what it does is, I mean, I don't, I don't, know, how, I don't know how else to say this. Human beings are so strange. It seems like we're either, we are either lazy and willing to freeze or starve to death or we are willing to work until it kills us. And lazy isn't rest, and overworking isn't rest. And so we find ourselves in this dilemma all the time. And I personally do. I know that I'm a really, really hard worker. And I know what it's like when I, when I, when I, when I have to stop working hard because I am, I am profoundly tired. And then I move into uh, the point of maybe trying to rest, but I don't actually rest. So I flick on Netflix, and I lay on my bed, and I recognize that I'm not resting, but at least I'm not working. Therefore, something good should be happening. But it's not. Because I'm actually not understanding what God's heart is for me to have rest. To be still and know that He is God. To make room for Him to move in a place that I am restricted from moving in. That one's free this morning, but I want you to just think about that for a second. The purpose of rest really could be boiled down to this one thing. That God wants us, at least once a week, to move into a place of restriction where only He is allowed to move. And you could write a book off of that alone right there. That's actually the point of rest. Because we need it, and actually he needs it. God, God needs the space to move in your life. Because he's not particularly given to running roughshod over his creation. It takes a lot for God to come to that place. Rest. Let's go back to Nehemiah. And of course, we've been teaching through the book of Nehemiah this entire series. And I want to read to you uh, about seven verses here. Uh, just, just Chapter 13, it's the last chapter in the book of Nehemiah. And this is how the whole story of rebuilding the wall touches into Ezra coming and restoring the temple before the wall was rebuilt. It all kind of works together. And then it, the story begins to kind of wind down here in this part of chapter 13. So let's start in verse 15. It says, in those days... I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them onto donkeys, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, and they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them. Admonished, for those of you who don't know what it means, I gave them trouble. Okay? I chewed them out. I let them know they were wrong in what they were doing. I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also, the men of Tyre were there, uh, Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your forefathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble, yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? It came about that just as it grew dark 
at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath. I commanded that the doors be shut and they not be opened until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gates so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. He's not joking. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this, also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. So here is the principle I want to unpack with you today. We are called to build something. You're called to build a family, a marriage, a life, a business, a ministry. God has put all sorts of things. God has predestined you for good works in Christ so you would walk in them. God, God is all for, he is all about you doing the great things he has planned for you. And they are greater things than you're imagining, I can tell you that for sure. So this is God's perspective on it. He wants you to do all these things... But here's the problem. In trying to do all the things, we become terrible rest people. We dishonor the covenant he wants to have with us. We profane the day of rest, the day that he called holy, and we get ourselves into a whole pile of trouble all because we just don't know how to stop and be still, restrict ourselves from movement so that God can move. Now, this is profoundly real, profoundly true. Many people are waiting for God to move in their life, and the problem is they won't stop. Well, I really need God to move, but I can't stop moving. That's your problem. Galatians taught us, still teaches us, why are you so foolish? Why, after having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to try to attain things by your own human effort? In other words, what God is doing, let God do. You stand there. You stand your ground. You stay in your place. You stay in your lane and let the Spirit of God be in His lane and do the things that are impossible for you to do because God can do far more with your 10% than you can with your 100%. And God can do far more on one day of rest than you can do with all seven days of work. It is exponentially more what God can do. Well, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but... I understand that it gets confusing and then it gets hard for us. Because I'm, I'm like you. It's hard when there's a list of a million things to be done. And it's not really a million things. We exaggerate it. But it's innocent enough. It's probably thousands of things in my life right now. Thousands and thousands of things that could or should be done. I'm behind on more things than I would ever want to have to admit to you. And the temptation is... To work, 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 work. And the result of that is death, 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 death. Because your sin will always find you out. It'll come. So what's the principle we need to find? What's the principle we live in today, by today? It's rest. We understand that the Sabbath day is a day of rest because God rested on the seventh day. After God created everything, he said it is good. And then he rested on the seventh day of creation. He called it holy. The church gathers on Sunday because Sunday was the day of the resurrection of Jesus. Some of you didn't even know that, maybe. And, and, I, and I need to be clear in this. 
They, they met on Sunday. You want to know why? I, th- I think culturally why they met on Sunday mostly is because the early church was actually a culture of servants and slaves. And they didn't have the option of taking a day off when they wanted. If, if they were, you know, if, if they were, here's how the Jewish people would do it. The things that needed to be done on the Sabbath day, the Jewish people were forbidden to do. But in some cases, their servants could do. Or the slaves could do. And in Roman culture, slavery did not get better. Just just a worthy note to make. It didn't get better because now there was actually no honor of rest whatsoever. It was an occupational military state. And so the early church, uh, if you can can imagine this, the early church is a culture largely of people who are in indentured servitude or are actually slaves. They're getting saved. Yes, some of their masters are getting saved. This is why the New Testament deals with the issue of, of slaves obeying their masters. Because it was a reality in the church. It's like these poor people, they're slaves, and they're like, well, I'm free in Christ now, so I don't have to do what my master says. And the Bible has to come around and say, no, actually, you're under contract, and you need to be a man of your word. So, so it gets, it gets kind of hard and messy, but if I, just, I share that not to confuse you, but to help you understand that the Bible is written to people who are in a difficult circumstance when it, it comes to figuring out rest. It's not like the early church had it cut out easy for them. Well, the early church people just can't possibly understand what it's like to be a Canadian in 2022. I think the early church would smack us in the face. How, they would say things like, how dare you profane the body of Christ by refusing, by being so foolish as to not rest. I think that's what they would do. I think the apostle Peter would come in here and Chop somebody's ear off with a sword. Oh boy, now I got to put that back on. Right? Like, Jesus, Jesus ascended. I have to do it, I have to do it myself now. Um, the, the, this, the culture that they lived in was a harder culture than ours, guys, is what I'm trying to say. And yet, over and over again, I, I, let, let me just say this one more time because I, don't, I, don't, I feel like it's not sinking in with you, so I'm going to say it again. Back in Bible times, they did not have washers and dryers or dishwashers or microwave popcorn. They didn't have running water. And so work for people in ancient times was substantially more work-related than work for us today. Are you with me? Please, please help me out by letting me know you're with me. Otherwise, I'm going to find another way to say this one more time. They worked harder than we have to. Why then? Tell me for the love of God, why are we more burned out than they were? Why are some of you, my dear friends, burned out and tired and sick all the time? It actually is, it's it's frustrating to me to the point of anger. Our whole world is burning down with burned out Christians. People who don't understand. People who think that their life is so hard. And you don't even have to draw your own water. You don't even have to wash cloth diapers anymore unless you're one of those real cool hip millennial parents. And some of you do. And God God bless you. You have more faith and courage than we had. (laughs) Cloth diapers. Wow. Good for you. (laughs) I suppose you have a diaper service, which makes life easier once again. Listen. I don't think that people are lazy at all. In fact, in this part of the world, my experience is that we are blue-collar, 
hard-working, get-it-done, in-this-season kind of people. But if we aren't honoring the principle and the law of rest, it will catch up with us because sin will find us out. So we have the seventh day of rest, which would be Saturday. We have the first day, Sunday, is a day of worship for the Christian church. And I need you to know that one is not meant to replace the other. Here's an anomaly that we have that nowhere else in the world really has the same way we do. North America is built on the culture of a five-day work week. Do you want to know why? Saturday is a day of rest. Sunday is a day of worship. Monday through Friday are your days to work. Now, I'm not saying that can be everybody's reality in this particular season of your life. But I'm just saying... This is the historic reason why our work week is set up the way it is. So that you have a day off, a day to rest, and as you have a day to be at church and participate in society as a whole as a child of God doing amazing things for his kingdom. And I can appreciate that it's really hard for us to come back to that place, but please hear me this morning. We need to understand and come back to the principle of God's word because legalism will not solve this problem. And this is by no means an invitation for any of you to become legalistic about this day or this moment or that moment. This is about understanding what God's heart is for your life so that you can be fruitful in everything God wants you to put your hand to. That's what, that's, please, please hear this. If you become legalistic, I, I feel like it's time to like, I don't know, go cut a short willow stick from the bush. Some of you know what that means. Make sure it's flexible. Don't bring it back so big that you think I can't swing it, because if I can, listen. Just because you labor for six days and take a day off does not mean that you're going to rest. That's what legalism tells you. Legalism says, well, if you work six days and then take Saturday off, and there are church communities that teach it. That's the only way to do it. Honor the Sabbath. You've got to honor it literally for the day for what it is. Listen, I think it's easy. We can do that, no problem. But not, not in the legalistic way people think. In the same way as, well, if I go to church on Sunday, that means I'm a Christian. No, it doesn't. Just because you show up to worship doesn't make you a, a little Jesus. It doesn't make you a follower of Christ just because you show up and legalistically observe a day. doesn't work that way, people. So we have to understand that it's not about the law because we've been set free from the law of sin and death and now we are subject to the law of liberty. We need to understand that the heart, the teaching of Jesus was what? That man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for man. Do you think that you were created for the church or the church was created for you? Hmm. Isn't that the same thing? Ironically, there wouldn't be a church if you weren't a new creation in Christ. So I guess that one's kind of a trick question. Um, how, how do you, just briefly, and we could, I could teach a whole series on rest, and it would be a self-teaching moment too, because I am by no means perfect in any of this. Um, here, here's the deal. You can't just say, I'm going to rest on the Sabbath, and think that rest will happen because rest actually requires an action on your part. And the action is that to be rested, you must do things that are restful. 
That, that, there actually is something required of us to make that happen. To become rested, you need to rest. And to rest, you actually need to do the things that are restful. Like take a nap. Read a book. Better yet, read your Bible. Take a walk for leisure instead of running somewhere. Right? Uh, exercise instead of work out. Say, Pastor Trav, that sounds an awful lot like the same thing. <laughs> Hear me again. Exercise instead of work out. What your heart is aligned with when you do anything has a huge amount to do with what you're actually doing. Now, that's not to say that intentions pave the way to godliness, because they don't at all. The, 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 the expression we all know is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So intentions alone are not anything, but if you can come at this from the understanding of what is God's heart for me, when he says, when he commands me to rest, what is his heart for you? Well, Pastor Trav, please tell us. That would, me, that would be like me telling you what I do for Amy to make her feel loved and saying, hey, guaranteed this would work for your wife. It's not how it works. It's, it's a relationship that you get to have with God. And it's a relationship that he wants to have with you. And individually, that is one of the most miraculous things we can ever know in this world. Taking a rest, as Robert Morris talks about it, has a lot more to do with what I don't do than what I do. So rest for me might look at getting in the tractor. Where it doesn't become rest is when something breaks down and I have to start fixing. And, and you see, it's, it, th this is why I can tell you there's no room for legalism in this. Because even Jesus reminded the early church, he reminded the teachers, the religious teachers of his day, hey, if an ox or your son falls into the well on the Sabbath, you're going to go get him out. Emergencies happen, and emergencies can be responded to. But listen, this is where, and, and Pastor Amy is always on me. This is one of our, this is like number three on our list of things that could cause us to fight. If she wants me to rest. She also wants me to do things for her around the house. Okay? This, this, is, the, this is the tension you will live in too, Right? And so she sees that it's not a big deal if I jump on the tractor, say, to feed cows on a Monday, because Monday is the day I try to take off, okay? Because quite often my Saturdays are busy, Sunday, I hope you understand, it's not a day off for me by any stretch. Um, and so it's fine. We've learned this. I can jump on the tractor and feed the cows, and I drive out, and my cows, I say, here, cows, hey, cows, 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 and my cow, and they come running across to me, and they're, they're bucking and hopping, and the calves come up, and they, some of them even lick my hand. Like, it is a wonderful experience if you understand what it is to be loved by cows. <laughs> Many of you don't know what that's like, and that's okay. Um, you probably never will. You just enjoy eating them, and that's fine, too. Um, Here's where, because I like driving around in my, in my tractor. I like equipment. I, I still today for enjoyment would jump on a hoe or a delimmer or a processor or a, or a dozer. Or I, I jump on steel anywhere to run it because it's fun for about a few hours. And, but the minute a hose blows and you take a hydraulic oil shower, it becomes work. And so I've had to learn this pacing in my life. The minute that that piece of equipment breaks down and I'm supposed to be having a day off, you know what I have to do? I actually have to park it. Because it will ruin me. It'll ruin my week. It'll ruin that week for my entire family 
If I proceed to let what I find restful become work when I'm trying to rest. Are you following with me, at least in theory? Because I know this gets really messy, and I'm telling you, legalism won't solve this, so don't you dare become legalistic. Also, make sure you're somewhat legalistic about this so that you can build a habit. Okay? I, I understand that, 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 that teaching people stuff is often... There's a dichotomy here. So listen, on a day off, exercise instead of workout, um, read a book, read your Bible, go hunting, go for a walk. If hunting is work for you, don't go hunting, just go for the walk. Leave your gun at home. You follow. Um, if Sunday were a Sabbath, because there's this notion in the church sometimes that that Sunday for the church has replaced the Sabbath day for God's people. That's actually not true. Now, Sunday could be a day of rest for you. That, that would be fine. But the problem is, is then you're showing up at church and never serving. And if you're not serving in church, you're actually not growing in relationship, in community, in your self, uh, self-value. You're not growing in anything because, you, well, people who show up at church and never, ever serve, they, they turn into really fat little babies. I'm sorry if that slapped you in the face. I love you you got to serve at church to become who God's called you to be. Because Jesus himself said the Son of Man came to what? Not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve. So service, serving others, is kind of the thing we do as followers of Jesus. Well, how does that play into rest? Well, it doesn't. That's why Sunday church is not by any means theologically or doctrinally a replacement for the Sabbath. It's not. Guys, I just, I need you to understand how, how, how privileged and blessed we are actually to live in a nation that, that, that still, for now, for now mostly, less and less all the time, but has this brilliant idea of, hey, let's work Monday to Friday. Let's take Saturday off and rest. Let's take Sunday and go to church. This, this reflects something very valuable that I think we need to fight back to. It's right to serve a church. It's a good thing when you're doing something that produces something good in you and even more produces good results in the people around you. Most people in this world today are living, as you know, in a way that causes them to be too tired to worship and too busy to rest. People are living too tired to worship and too busy to rest, and then we have the audacity to ask or wonder why God isn't speaking to us the way we want. Right? If you never stop moving and say, God, I really need you to move, he's just like, stand still for a minute. Just stop what you're doing. Cease striving. Be still and know that I am God. So what was Nehemiah's frustration? I don't know if you picked it up, whether by the inflection of my tone as I read that, or if you can actually just read it for what it is. And I don't, please understand this. There is inflection and tone in the words of Scripture. Like Jesus is at times quite sarcastic. He's quite rhetorical in some of his questions. And I, I can't help but imagine that many times he shook his head in disbelief which is an ironic thing to say about the Son of God. God became flesh for him to shake his head in disbelief at anything. All right? 
What happens if he shakes his head in disbelief? Do people disappear? Okay, that's a whole different thought for a different time. I'll mess you up. Uh, what's Nehemiah's frustration, though, since we're, on the, since we're in the book of Nehemiah? See, they're doing, here's his frustration. And as a parent, as a leader, you should be able to relate to this. They are quite literally doing the exact same thing that got them kicked out of Jerusalem in the first place. They went hundreds of years without letting the land rest. Hundreds of years without honoring the Sabbath. Hundreds of years flaunting a new kind of slavery in the face of the God who set them free from the slavery they had in Egypt. Do you understand why I say that is flaunting? Nehemiah made it very clear. He says, what did he say? You are doing evil. Evil. Not just messing up a little bit. Not just kind of, oh, you kind of stepped off the track just a little there, brother. You are doing evil. You are profaning the Sabbath. It is evil. Point number one for the message today. It is evil to miss rest. Nehemiah 13, 15 through 18. It's evil. You might think I'm making too much of this. Let me assure you I am not making too much of this. Read for yourself everything you can in the Bible about rest, the Sabbath, what Jesus says about it, what the Old Testament says about it. Then you'll have an idea of what God is saying about rest. And then once you've done that part, then go and read some great biblical teachers and what they have to say about that. Okay? I'm not the one who called it evil. Don't, don't, don't come to church today, leave church today and say, well, Pastor Trev sure had an overreaction, calling, calling me not resting evil. I'm not saying that. The Bible is. The inspired Word of God says it is evil to miss rest. Those of you who like sleeping in should be like, amen, thank you, Jesus. Preach it, brother. Bring it some more. Have an altar call right now. I'm coming forward. Ah, you don't like all the sleeper inners in the church should be rejoicing at this moment. It's evil to miss rest. What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? It's, and it's so bad because it is so very much like those sheep videos we watched. I am a sheep. Boing, boing, boing. I am a sheep. Boing, boing. Oh, I fell in a ditch. I'm stuck. I will die here because I am not smart enough or capable of getting myself out of this ditch because I'm a sheep. Shepherd comes along, reaches down, pulls that lamb out of that trench, pats him on the head. Oh, you silly little sheep. And then he lets the sheep go. He lets you go. And you say, boing, boing, I'm a sheep, I'm a sheep. Right back in the same trench. This is what God's people were doing, and this is what Nehemiah is pointing out. We just got back. Most of our countrymen are still in Babylon. 2 Chronicles 36, 21, you can read about it. Leviticus 26 is where God actually speaks through the prophet. He says, I'm going to give you these rules about the land. You're going to let the land rest every seven years. I don't want you to plant a crop. I want the land to rest every seventh year. I'm going to bless you. Just trust me in this new land that I am giving you. God does his thing. God says his thing. The people are like, yes, Lord, we're going to offer sacrifices. We're going to do it. It doesn't take even two or three generations before they abandon what God told them to do. And then they go like, Hundreds of years of ignoring what God told them to do. 
So God says, okay, that's it. I told you this would happen. You're doing exactly what I said you would do. So now you're going to become captives in Babylon. I still love you. I'm still going to bless you. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to honor your city. I want you to build that society. I want you to be ten times better than all the other kids in Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I want you guys to flourish. But you're in trouble. You're grounded to another place. Ezra and Nehemiah bring all the people. They start this reconstruction. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the wall. Things are looking good. Nehemiah has to go back to report to the king. And as soon as he shows up again, what? First time, if you remember two weeks ago, he showed up. And Tobiah, the enemy, public enemy number one of Nehemiah, is allowed to have all his personal crap in the temple. Guys, if I was Nehemiah, I would have, I would have killed people. I would have ripped arms off and beat them with the wet ends. And if I wasn't strong enough, I would have had Carlisle do it and Wes. Because they will if I need them to. It's so evil. It's evil to not rest. Hear this. It's evil to profane the Sabbath. And I'm not telling you, please, again, here, I'm not suggesting that legalism will solve your problem. But my, by God, you better start to get the heart of God into you with regard to what God says is best for you. And if you don't listen to me, then God help you because you're going to listen to the hard way. And the hard way is not a fun teacher. The second thing I want you to remember today is that rest must be prioritized and taken with authority. Yeah, you know, Pastor Trav. I just very casually and very weakly decided that we are going to start resting around our house. You're not going to make it two weeks. Because rest must be prioritized, and then it must be taken with authority. Read, read verse 19 again if you want to. See, someone has to say this to our culture no, 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 no. This is what our family does. This is what my house does. This is what my church does. Sorry, Mr. Bossman. These days are important to me. It is important that I rest and be there for my kids. Because even if you pay me a million dollars a year and I lose my family, what was the point of making the million dollars this year? See, what's at stake here is eternal, and we're trading what is eternal for what is temporal. That is profane. What are you going to do? Stand before Jesus one day? I sure hope he says, well done, good and faithful servant to me. I mean, I made millions, and I'm not saying for a second that God is not honoring some of you to make millions and even more than that, because we're a kingdom of kings and priests unto God. By good, man, some of you are kings, and you will go and make war, and you will bring the spoils of war into the house of God to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. It's not, the, it's not about the million. It's about whether or not you're doing the right things to get there. It's whether or not your kids are going to thrive. It's whether or not your grandchildren are going to have a heritage of Jesus in their life. And believe it or not, so much of this is tied to whether or not you rest because an unrested person is a foolish person. Well, I don't know if that's true. Okay, when's the last time you had to write a test really tired? Mm. I preach much differently well-rested versus tired. Much differently. There's a lot less mistakes when I'm well-rested. be true for you too. Someone has to say, in this marriage, we do the following. In this marriage, we're going to do this. We're going to go this way. Someone might have to put it in the calendar 
week after week, day after day, until it becomes a habit. Because rest has to be prioritized, and then there has to be an authoritative statement that causes it to take root as something in your life. I am going to. And then you do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, worship team, you come on back up. I'm all but done, you know, 20, 30 minutes from now. I'm done. Come on up. The last thing is this. You actually have to be prepared to fight for rest. Well, I want to rest. Pastor, we did. We sat down, we had a family meeting, and we decided that we're going to say no to some things so we can say yes to rest. Good for you. Great job. Now are you prepared to fight for it? Well, what's this? All of a sudden now we've got to fight for stuff, Pastor. Yeah, you have to fight for anything worth having in this world. You do. You've got to fight for a good marriage. You've got to fight for a good relationship with Jesus. You've you got to fight to get a good deal on a car. You, gotta, you should probably be fighting to get a better deal at Wendy's. I don't know. You've got to fight for just about everything in this world, and that's not necessarily a really negative thing, but, but please understand, you actually have to make the hard choices and then hold to them. You actually have to say and do hard things that will not make other people happy. No one likes it when I don't take their call. But there are times when I take my phone and I go, boop, I throw it away from me. Because it's not good for me to be tied to a phone. You have to trust God to take care of the things you can't because you're standing still in rest. And the sad truth is, is many of us are actually not willing to trust God that way. That's the sad truth. Pastor Trav, you don't know. There's this multi-million dollar deal pending. You're right, I don't know. And it's probably better that I don't know. But I'm still not going to back down. You need to honor the Lord so that the Lord can honor you. You need to rest so that God can be your provision. Quit trying to store up things that in your own mind give you peace, but in God's reality are just going to spoil on you. When God gave the Israelites manna in the wilderness, the manna in the wilderness, the instructions were explicit. They were clear. Only gather for today what you need for today, because if you gather more than you need, worms will come into it and spoil it. And it did. Guys, the whole, the whole deal with God's relationship with us is so that we can be resting in Him and trusting of Him so that He can move through us. That's actually what it all boils down to. You're a vessel. God wants to fill you. God wants to flow through you. But you're running when you shouldn't be running, and you're standing still when you shouldn't be standing still because you don't know what to do. You're overwhelmed. You're underwhelmed. You're interwhelmed. I don't know what other kind of whelmed you can be, but you're it. you got to fight for it. you got to trust God to make war on your behalf. I believe it's right to end this series on builders and this thought about rest because God is building something in this church. God is doing something amazing in this church and you can feel it. It is palpable. It is in the air week after week. I know that you can sense it. I know that you can sense there are people moving incrementally closer to Jesus. There are signs and wonders beginning to follow those who believe in Jesus. We're seeing people get set free. We're seeing marriages healed and restored. We're, we're seeing people healed from disease. We're seeing a spirit of faith rise up in this church like never before. And it's so exciting. The worship is getting better. It's so much fun. 
But if we don't know how to rest as we move into the days God has for us ahead, we will surely die. Ministry will suffer, families will fail, marriages will struggle. I need the teams of this church to be healthy. I need the people of this church to be healthy, to be responsive, to be trainable so that they can train people, so they can help people. See, rested, healthy people can seek the kingdom of God first and have everything else added to that. But unrested, unhealthy people aren't capable of that. So we need to become people who are rested, who are healthy. Legalism won't solve the problem. It's only going to make it worse. Remember, Jesus taught that man is not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is created for man. This is God's idea so that you would be fulfilled, so that your joy will be complete, so that your life will be full. It's for our benefit that we rest. It's for our benefit that we gather. It's for our benefit that we take a day off to appreciate the good things God is doing. And it's to our benefit that we take a day to show up to church to worship. Both of those things need to be happening in your life. They have to. And we need to fight our way back to that as a culture, as a society. So God help us. God help us. Some days I feel like I'm a long ways off from being able to grasp this thing that God is doing in our heart. So this morning, wherever you're at, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to open the prayer time like we always do. And you know, we're not going to belabor that. We're not going to wait around. And I would advise you not to wait to the end of the song to come forward. I, I think that that when we feel God tugging on us, we need to begin to develop a heart that's trained to say, yes, Lord, right away. I'm not going to wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to you right now, God. We think too highly of our own thoughts. And that's a big problem for us. Well, wait, don't just, Lord, let me think about it. No, stop thinking. His thoughts are higher thoughts than yours. Just do what he says. Respond to the, the heart tug that you feel in your heart today. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. I'll never miss this opportunity. If you're with us today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me tell you this. That means emphatically that you do not have a relationship with God. That's what the Bible teaches. There's no other way to come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, God incarnate. And that needs to be done but with two things happening. Faith has to be placed in Jesus and what he did at the cross. And the second thing that goes with that is we have to turn from sin so that we can start to become like Jesus. And we'd love to talk with you about that, about how that looks, what it looks like. We'd love to pray with you about that. We'd love to do whatever we can to help you get to that place so you can start a relationship with God today. So if that's you, when we start singing this song, you just come. If you need healing in your body, if you need healing in your marriage, if you need anything from the Lord today, don't leave the same way that you came. But rather, with faith, with expectation, allow yourself to respond to what God is doing in your life today. So we're going to take three seconds and ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today, Holy Spirit? Ask Him. God, what do you want me to do with what's been said here today? And now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would embolden every person in this room, every person watching online this morning to respond to what your Spirit is saying to us, God. 
embolden us with faith today, God, to respond, I pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.